the Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others, is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO, a diocese of the Anglican Church in North America, led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Welcome back to the C4SO podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Ben Sternke. And as you may know, September is Child and Youth Protection Month here at C4SO. During this month, we focus on helping our churches safeguard the physical, emotional, and spiritual health of the most vulnerable in our care, our children. As Bishop Todd says, caring for our children is a sacred trust. Sadly, even in the church, the vulnerable continue to be exploited, so we must take action to prevent it. So C4SO takes protecting children and youth very seriously, and that involves all of our clergy and church staff and volunteers completing a training called Ministry Safe each year and signing a compliance form stating that they have implemented the diocesan standards set out in our child and youth protection policies. And today, to talk about all of this stuff, uh, we've invited Kelly Marsh, who is an an attorney with the Church Law Center of California who uh, works with C4SO on safeguarding our kids. Uh, We've invited Kelly to just chat with us a bit about why this training is so important from a legal perspective. So Kelly, uh, welcome to the C4SO podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I know this is a very heavy topic. It is. And I'm glad that I can come and share. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. I appreciate you uh, being able to chat with us about this and why it's so safe. Um, maybe we can start here um, at, at C4SO. Um, talk a bit about why ministry safe training or some kind of equivalent is so crucial for a church at any stage, even before they have an official children's ministry. Why is a training like this so important? Uh, it is so important because the threat is real. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's tragic and it can make us feel sick even to think about it and talk about it because our, how depraved our world is and what's happened to our children and what is currently happening. And so I don't want to talk about any of it lightly, but the reason that we're talking about it, right, is to reduce the risk of child abuse in the ministry and to really face the facts mm. because yeah. the more aware that we are, the more vigilant we should be. So the awareness should help us to make sure that we are adhering to the policies and protecting the kids. So the abuse statistics are really staggering and they're extremely discouraging. But again, the sadness of those facts, they can't like let us bury our heads in the sand, right? And C4SO has really done a great job at this. You know, ever since I've been working with C4SO, there have been strong policies regarding child protection. And so I, I commend them for that. I want to share a few of the statistics around this just sure. academically and yeah. um, in the in the country. So there are academic studies that have found that one in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused before they reach the age of 18. Mm. And 90% of victims that are abused as children sexually, it's by someone that they know and trust. Mm. So it's not the stranger danger that we probably grew up with and that we still know that it is a real threat, but that threat is very small in comparison to the 90% that are people that we know. Yeah. 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 So what, um, what is it about, um, 
we use ministry, ministry safe, uh, training. What is it about that system? Um, like why, why do you trust that system kind of among all the other systems that are out there? Yeah, there are a lot of good trainings out there, but Ministry Safe, particularly, they've been around for 25 years, mm-hmm. and they were founded by two attorneys that have experience in litigation representing victims of child sexual abuse. So their experience in the field really makes their trainings well done. And of course, with a name like Ministry Safe, you can imagine they are believers, and so there are. Um, they are specific and there's a benefit to understanding, you know, ministries and churches as well. Yeah. And so the, the training that they produce is just really well done. And, you know, their training is in conjunction with the policies that we created with C4SO. So you're using mm-hmm. the training along with the policies that are for all the churches to adopt and make sure that they're using the safety yeah. procedures. and whatnot. Yeah. So there's an alignment there between, kind of our diocesan policies and the training that everybody gets as they go through uh, that, that video training online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, um, let's get practical. We've, we've encountered this kind of situation at our church plant. And so I know this is a question that a lot of, especially younger or smaller churches uh, face. Um, and C4SO has a lot of those, a lot of church plants and a lot of smaller mm-hmm. churches. And so when you don't have a lot of volunteers, it's easy for a church plant to just kind of pull seemingly nice mom and dad into the nursery or just to, you know, somebody's friend can fill in, you know, some nursery worker. It's like, oh, well, my, you know, my cousin likes kids and can work with kids. Um, so it's easy to just sort of pull someone in, you know, to maybe cover mm-hmm. for somebody who didn't show up um, and that, that, kind of a, that kind of a thing. And then, you know, maybe that person just continues volunteering and their training slips through the cracks. Um, what is it about that kind of situation that is so dangerous? Well, it's dangerous for a variety of reasons. The first and foremost that we should talk about is the fact that there's no reliable way to spot an abuser just by looking at them. There's no visual mm. profile for an abuser. Child abusers have been known to be any gender, any age, every socioeconomic group, every race, every ethnicity and various occupations. And many convicted sex abusers are actually well-educated, often married with children, and they seem like productive members of society. So this is, this is a huge <laughs> reason why it's so dangerous. We often think maybe we'll get like some kind of a gut reaction or something, but you, yeah. you've probably seen yourself or read articles when people are known to become abusers when it comes out that people are shocked and they're like, what? I would have never thought that person. And that's because they're really good at grooming not only the children, but the gatekeepers of the children to become, you know, somebody that people see as helpful and trustworthy. And so it's, it's really important to not do that. And one thing that I think ministry saves training does really well and is really compelling on this particular topic is there is a rolling page of pictures of the men and women who have been convicted of sexual abuse of minors. And it has their titles beside their pictures. There's a picture of a camp director with a big friendly smile, a church and child advocacy volunteer who looks like just a typical dad next door. There's a youth worker from a church there was a um, healthcare professional, a youth pastor, a pastor. And then there's women that they show. There's some 
some pretty young women, some like middle-aged women, and even an 84-year-old grandmother-looking woman who is a foster parent. So it just really shows it's like that picture is worth a thousand words saying when you see them all, you think, oh, yeah, I would think that person is just friendly, yeah, normal. But that's the first reason why it's dangerous. Okay. Um, another reason why it's dangerous is that even if this mom or dad or cousin or this person really is a good person and they would never harm a child, they still haven't been trained. So they don't have the same knowledge as everyone else about the importance of following the policies and the importance of really creating that culture of protection. Hmm. Sure, someone might give them, you know, the standard like two adult to every child rule. But if they aren't trained in all the specifics, like what does that look like if somebody needs to go to the bathroom or if somebody calls out sick, that's just going to be a greater risk for the children Mm -hmm. because somebody, it might be that somebody is waiting for the moment when they can isolate the child because another adult isn't as informed and they're not as vigilant. So that's the second reason. The last reason that it's so dangerous is because this, you know, nice mom or dad or cousin, they could be a known abuser. And if Mm. the church didn't go through the proper procedures, and that could have been discovered by something like, you know, something in their application or a red flag from one of their references, or worst case scenario, they actually had a criminal history of abuse, then that's going to be, that's obviously really bad. That's like your very worst case. So, yeah. Just to hammer the point home, an abuser <laughs> can be anybody. Yeah. And so it's of utmost important that anyone who helps with children, that they be vetted through the intentional process and trained in the policies and procedures. Yeah, yeah I think that makes a lot of sense um, that we, we generally want to think the best of people. And in general, mm-hmm. we can, right? You know, it's, it's not like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we need to... I think there's a difference between, in what I hear you describing, a difference between vigilance... Uh, to keep kids safe, but also like paranoia. We're not talking about paranoia, yeah. but we are talking about you know vigilance, and that's kind of what these policies uh, are there for. Um, maybe we can double click on that last you know like worst case scenario that you mentioned just to just to highlight that. What would happen from a legal perspective if a child or or young person was harmed at your church and your volunteers and staff had not completed? the required training. Um, so say if your, if your church was out of compliance with diocesan standards and a child or a young person was harmed, uh, what, what would happen uh, from a legal perspective? Yeah, that's going to be negligence on the church's part and mm. potentially gross negligence. Wow. And when you're looking at gross negligence, there's, uh, there can be personal liability from your board's perspective. So not only the church's liability, but yeah. the individual board members who aren't adhering to things. So it's a it's a very horrible you know situation for the church, and then of course for the person. So the yeah. the most important thing, of course, is that if people are actually following the trainings, then it can actually reduce the incidence of harms. Because yeah. it would be extremely difficult for a child to be isolated with an adult abuser. And so at that point, you know, in the lit- like at this point in litigation around child protection, there's a common standard for reasonableness. And that would be just your standard having the background checks and having mm-hmm. the policies and adhering to the policies. Yeah. So, you know, C4SO already has everything in place. 
but if they're not following it, it's almost worse than if you did have a policy because you know the risk and yet you're just not recognizing it and not doing the measures that you've said that you were going to do. You know, policy is not a policy if it's just what you say. A policy is what you actually do. Yeah. Okay. Um, That's helpful. What, um, maybe uh, another question around some of these issues, you know, uh, um, there's been a lot more um, abuse cases in the news. Um, I think people are are becoming a lot more aware of uh, how some of these things work and lawyers and and attorneys sometimes get a bad rap for being more pro-institution, sort of protecting the, the church or protecting the institution instead of protecting victims, instead of advocating for victims. So I'm wondering how you handle that at the Church Law Center and how, how you think about protecting children, um, but also, you know, protecting the church in a way that's not mutually exclusive. Well, at Church Law Center, we definitely believe that protecting the children is protecting the church. They go mm. hand in hand. The mission of mm. the church is supported by having strong protection policies. And when we do encounter situations where a victim does come forward, we want to make sure that that victim is treated with respect and not like they're the one, you know, that's the criminal and they're on the one on trial for bringing the claim. We want people to always feel comfortable with bringing forth allegations because there's a very high percentage of, um, of people who don't report sexual crimes. I think the um, FBI estimates that only 10 to 40% of sexual crimes are ever even reported. Hmm. And then there's also a large percentage that um, I think it's like 60% of adults don't report child sexual abuse until they become adults. Hmm. So it's important if someone brings the claim to, to start with understanding and believing what they're saying And because studies have shown time and again that false allegations are less than 5% of allegations. So there are the five, there is the 5% that could be false. Mm -hmm. So that's why we do still have a process in place for investigation, wanting the truth to be found, wanting the right steps to be taken for the truth to be discovered. But we definitely want to create a culture where a victim is treated well when they report so that people will come forward. Another, um, study of convicted predators found that most predators had numerous victims before they were caught some 50 to 100 victims before wow so when someone if we're believing them early on then it's possible that we can catch you know a predator before there's tens of um or more victims so it is prudent you know to have an investigation with fairness throughout the process and we would always recommend also that an independent agency do the investigation so that it's not done through the church so that there's not, you know, that power imbalance. Yep. That helps keep it kind of above board as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful. I, I like that way of saying it, that protecting kids is protecting the church. Um, and it, it sort of eliminates some of that, uh, I don't know, feeling of competition or the threat that sometimes the ins- like people in the institution sometimes feel when some sort of mm-hmm. allegation uh, comes out. Um, so I appreciate that approach. Um, maybe just uh, getting a little bit more personal for you. Um, you're a, a lawyer, but you're also um, a Christ follower and you're also a mother. 
Um, and so how, how do you think about the church's mandate to protect uh, the least of these? Um, as a mother, what would you want to expect and, and expect when attending a church, dropping your kid off, you know, in a nursery or a Sunday school class or a kid's church kind of a situation? What would you look for? Yeah, that's great questions. And, and so, yeah, I definitely probably would get a little bit more into my personal theology <laughs> <laughs> things more so than my legal opinion. But, you know, while the church should be the safest place that families can gather, you know, it's unfortunate that that's not always the case. And so there are some aspects to a church being very big and um, ch- families also being separated during church that I think, you know, has, have created some more issues. Hmm. And so ultimately, you know, I I am the church personally. My husband and I, we're both as our as parents, we're part of the church. And so I really believe it's it's primarily my personal responsibility to keep my children safe. Mm-hmm. And that can look like me making sure as a mom, you know, that they are adhering to their policies. Mm-hmm. And if I see something off or I don't think that they're adhering to the policies, then I need to say something. You know, mm-hmm. this goes for any parent, not just me right. because I'm a lawyer in this area. Right. But that we're the ones that have, you know, the most impact with an oversight of our own children. So I do think it's really important that as parents, we think about, you know, if we see something, say something and, and we can ask questions. We don't need to be scared to ask questions. Everybody wants to protect the children if they're, you know, as long as they're not a hidden abuser in your, your organization, Mm. they want to protect the kids. And so if you bring up a concern, then it should be met with, um, with kindness and wanting to talk about it. And so for me as a mom, I want to see the basic safety check, you know, a check-in, check-out system. That is, you know, there's the different types of risk. There's the abduction risk and then there's the preferential predator risk. So the abduction one is kind of like what we talked about earlier being someone you don't know. That's fairly low, but again, it still is a risk. So Mm -hmm. I want to make sure the basics are there that nobody's picking up my child except myself or my husband. But then from there, I want to know that all the training, the, all the staff and all the volunteers, that they are trained, that they have gone through a background check and some kind of a application process. And I really would like to see that there be a waiting period as well before somebody can volunteer, that it's not just, oh, I just started going to this church and now I'm going to volunteer with the kids within mm-hmm. you know a month. Yeah. I want them to be involved in the life of the church for a little bit. And then I want to see rooms with windows. I want to see open doors. Those are just some of the yeah. basics. And the two-adult rule that C4SO has, too, that's very important to me. I, I don't want you know any adult being one-on-one with my child that I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really helpful, uh, I think, from, the, uh, from even from your just hearing that from, the, from your personal perspective. Um, what, what are some other things that churches could do if they wanted to kind of go the extra mile beyond just, like, compliance but also just to create an environment that makes, you know, parents feel like their their kids are going to be safe and, you know, actually are going to be safe. Like what, what could churches do um, to create that environment that is and feels safe for kids? I think the, the biggest thing is to create a culture of safety and protection and care and concern. Hmm. Not that we're just checking off the trainings, you know, everybody's done what they should do. And so, you know, you, oh yeah, just make sure you watch the training. Like, you know, you can pause it or you can go do other things. What 
Now, this is really important. You need to be aware. You need to know because we want to keep our kids safe and we want people that love kids and want to make sure that they're okay. And so that's, that's huge. We want people to be observant. And again, we want them to know that if they see something, they can say something. It's not, um, being a mandated reporter or a permissive reporter does not mean that you have to have evidence. You Hmm. can just share the information and then that should, um, that should be going to those higher up. Because there are, one important thing to think about here, too, is that there are grooming behaviors. That's mm. something that people want to recognize. There's a lot of that information in the ministry safe training, too, about the grooming behaviors. And so if people are noticing and bringing that to someone's attention, like, hey, you know, I, I've just noticed Mr. So-and-so seems to, like, put little little girl in his lap a lot. And I don't know, just something about it seems off. Okay, maybe that person reported and then somebody else later said, you know, I saw him giving her a hug and it just seemed to last a little too long. Then they take that piece of information. Then another person said, I saw him tickling a kid and it looked a little awkward. The kid didn't want to be tickled. So you start seeing three people noticing those things and somebody's keeping a track of it somewhere. Then they start to notice, okay, this person, we need to keep an eye on them. We need to have a conversation with them. We don't. We're, we care more about the children than the inconvenience of the adult. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, yeah, you're going to feel awkward if you have to talk to somebody about their interactions with children. But yeah. it's more important to keep that kid safe than it is if they feel a little awkward and uncomfortable. Yeah. It, as believers, they should be able to go to the Lord with that mm-hmm. <laughs> and like figure it out if they're upset about it. Yes. Because you know, our, our goal and our hope is to keep these kids safe. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful, I think, to, to contract, because I think that those kinds of awkward conversations, those kinds of uncomfortable interactions, uh, the possibility of conflict, all of those things are not good reasons to avoid these conversations, but they oftentimes feel uh, stronger than they ought to. Um, and so I, I appreciate you bringing us back to, here's what's at stake in these things, and here's why we have to actually step into this uh, responsibility as leaders um, to go ahead and have an awkward conversation if it means um, that you're creating a culture where uh, kids are going to be kept safe. Yeah, and another thing, if you want to, if a church does want to go the extra mile, is for everyone in the church to go through the training hmm. to be aware of the policy. Yeah, because in that aspect, you're allowing people to kind of know so that they can be more observant of the things like maybe they wouldn't realize that so-and-so tickling that kid might be a grooming behavior or that Mm -hmm. person giving them gifts, you know, that specific to that person are kind of like say, Oh, keep this secret, you know, like out in front of people, all those little things, the more people know, the more they can be aware and notice those things. And it's, it's important. Yeah. It's very important. Um, well, Kelly, I appreciate the time that you've uh, spent with us. Um, as you said earlier, these uh, this is a kind of heavy topic uh, and not very fun to talk about sometimes, um, but uh, extremely important uh, to do so. And so I appreciate you um, doing that for us and with us today. Sure. And I just want, can I touch on one other thing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Go for it. One other that's just not talked about as much, but that is a portion of child abuse a third of reports of sexual abuse are actually peer to peer. 
And mm. so that is something to also keep in mind yeah. at churches. I see. Especially when you get to know other families, maybe you're having play dates, maybe you're having um, in-home Bible studies and small groups. You want to make sure the kids are still um, supervised and supervised well, because there have been instances where these things have happened. And that's, um, you know, that's almost any abuse is sad. But to think like you're you're thinking everybody's safe because they're in your home and you know these people. But like I mentioned before, um, you know, the abusers can be anyone and these, the peer to peer peer abuse, oftentimes the person, the peer that's the abuser might be being abused as well. Mm -hmm. So you never know, you know, what's going on, but you want to make sure that children are being watched. Even when you might think they're safe, there's open doors, there's somebody coming in to check or, you know, best case scenario, there's always an adult two adults that are there watching them, but you definitely want to be thinking of that as well. Okay. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad you went over that. Um, cause that is a, uh, that's extremely important. So, um, well, we'll finish up by asking, this is a surprise question for you. Um, (laughs) but, um, two questions that we're asking everybody on the C4SO podcast this season, um, the first one is, what is a book, a TV show, or a movie that you enjoyed recently that you want to share? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I just finished, It's it was actually a little online book. So okay. <laughs> it's called The 21 Day Burning Heart Adventure. Oh. And this was written by the um, a woman that has been one of my heroes of the faith. Her name is Becky Tirabasi. Okay. I heard her speak in college many years ago. Mm -hmm. I won't tell you how many years ago. (laughs) But at that point, she was sharing with us that she had been spending an hour a day with God for 20 years without missing a day. And so I've heard her speak throughout the year since then, from college until now. And I just heard her speak a few weeks ago. And then I did her, her online book adventure. And it's the most, it's the most life changing thing I've ever heard other than the gospel is to spend quality time with God every day and not to miss it because there's nothing more important than spending time with the Lord and having that one-on-one time in his word, time in prayer. You know, that's where, that's where our power comes from. That's where our knowledge comes from. And I've noticed a difference. You know, I had, I made a commitment back in 2016 and I was like, okay, I'm going to do it 30. Well, I, I didn't commit to an hour. I said 30 minutes a day. <laughs> I can do 30 <laughs> minutes a day for the rest of my life. And then I had my second son and I was like, oh, I kind of got off track. But yeah. then recently, again, I went to hear her speak and got her online book. And it was just so invigorating. It was just what I needed to hear again, that mm. there's nothing as important as setting aside that time to mm. be with the Lord. Very good. So it's an online online book people can look it up yeah it's like a and she's actually because it's a hard copy book but then it's also an online adventure that she's kind of um reformatted and has a little instagram video each day as well a little place you can journal so it's really really great great um the second question that we're asking everybody is how can we pray for you oh wisdom for disciplining my children. <laughs> I have a three-year-old and uh, one that's turning one on Friday. Okay, yeah. So right the one-year-old, he's still, we're not there yet, but yeah, three-year-old, wow. Yeah, yeah. That's Wisdom about the time that. they figure out that they they want things. And uh, 
Yeah. Or they don't want things. Or they it's don't want things. Yeah. All the things. Yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah. just constantly and praying for patience that the okay. Lord would give me patience in that because you know there's my children are like the lights in my life. I love them. I adore them. But mm-hmm. wow, you know, I realize my own depravity sometimes <laughs> when yeah. I'm like, yeah. wow, I am so impatient right now, and He's just asking for you know not something yes. that's not a big deal. Yes, that is that. Um, I resonate with that. I have four kids. They're all older, but, uh, but I, I know what you're talking about. So mm-hmm. wisdom and patience. That's uh, lovely. I'll take some more of those as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Kelly, it, uh, has been great to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for sharing, um, your expertise and, uh, the wisdom that, uh, that mm-hmm. you gave to us. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.